Jesus, he's unreal, isn't he? But see, now this process has changed, Amy. Do not like this when he started, like, honestly, like, they could, just, could say hello without being around, like, you know? <laughs> Welcome to Thinking Deeply About Primary Education, the podcast that makes time and space to really think about pedagogy, teaching and learning, professional development, anything of interest to time poor and enthusiasm-rich primary teachers. This week, I'm joined by Christopher Such. Hello again. Lloyd Williams-Jones. Hello there. And Amy Bills. Hello. And together, we're going to explore communication in schools. But first, Chris, what are you reading for? Hey, what you reading for? Bit of a time-honoured tradition, this. My what you reading for isn't actually any reading. I'm going to recommend a particular podcast episode, or two episodes as it turns out. The brilliant Sarah Cottingham, also known as At Overpracticed on Twitter, who I'm privileged enough to work with, uh, was on the Bill Davidson podcast. He's got a couple of episodes. They're both 20 minutes long, short snippets on neuroscience and cognitive psychology and they are as as brilliant as you'd expect them to be from the person in question so yeah highly recommend checking those out what about you amy what are you reading for so i think i've mentioned before i'm a bit of a strange reader i think because i read several things at once depending on what i'm working on so we're currently looking at our workload charter and performance management policy across the trust so i am reading um, a combination of putting stuff first by John Utley and John Thompson. I have gone back to a book that I read a few years ago, which is The Trusted Executive by John Blakey. And I'm looking at a paper, research article, which I think Catherine Morgan recommended um, on Twitter a couple of weeks back. And it's The Power of School Conditions, Individual, Relational and Organisational Influences on Educator Wellbeing. And essentially what all of those things are, are saying is that all of those factors are really important, all associated with educator wellbeing. And we need our whole school or whole organisation strategic approach to all of that. So that's where I am at the minute. And I've now added yours to my list, Chris, to follow up at some, at some point. How about you, Lloyd? So I'm, uh, I've been reading as part of my MPQH uh, study in, with, with Ambition Institute. Um, one of the recommended reading was uh, from the Evidence-Based Education, the, their evidence review from a couple of years ago, uh, which was authored by uh, Rob Coe and a few others. Um, it's a really nice document, uh, evidence review, which boils down practice into sort of, and it, it came from an instructional unit uh, that I'm studying, uh, which boils down practice into, into four sort of key areas. So understanding the content, creating a supportive environment, maximising the opportunity to learn, and activating hard thinking. Now, again, these are lots of messages that we've heard in, in, in various literature and so on. It's just a really nice way. It, it just pulls it all together really succinctly. Um, so I just followed up with some extra reading on, on the unit that I've done from my study unit in my MPQ. Uh, and that was me this week. So Max, what are you reading for? Actually, funny you mentioned your, your sort of strategy, Amy, because since you told me about that, I've actually been thinking about the connections between the books that I'm reading. So like before I'd read lots, but they'd be disparate. And I was reading The Power of Geography and listening to Peter Frankopan's The Silk Roads or The New Silk Roads. But it actually backfired because obviously they're both about geopolitical tensions and the geopolitical situation has changed over the last month or so. So 
books. One book was written in like 2015, one book was written in like 2017, and here we are in like 2022. And so, yeah, like I say, I tried to connect, but I just got really, really confused because a lot of the situation doesn't exist anymore or exists in its most sort of frightening sense. Yeah, so it's just funny you say that. My book is actually, I think one we're going to talk about, Amy, it's Sonia Thompson's An Ethic of Excellence in Action. And I've read that in two sessions, you know, I think 79, 80 pages, two sessions, and it is awesome, you know, and I, I find myself nodding along. And, you know, they say it's not research based, but it's definitely born of a lot of refinement over a period of time in actual classrooms. And so because I enjoyed it so much, I'm going to give this away to anyone who makes a review of the podcast between now and Easter Sunday. So Easter Sunday, someone can have that on its way to them and just leave a review. So if you don't use Spotify or Apple and you want to make sure I see it, please do screenshot and send it to me on Twitter. Because that, that means you'll, I'll definitely see it. Because some of the podcast apps that people use, I have no idea what they what they are. So yes, yeah, so that, that's, that's what I'm reading for this week. So our focus is on communication. I think Lloyd and Amy, probably the two best suited or situated to talk with, you know, expertise on the ground. I've been in that situation in the past, but the longer my project goes on, the further away from any real responsibility in terms of school operations I become. So really my, my first question, and Lloyd, I'll throw it to you first, is why is communication important in schools? At the heart of communication and good communication in schools is trust. I think it just it is the, it's like the founding pillar of trust because everything you do and everything is communicated to you in a school, you have to trust it. You have to trust what those around you are saying. That's like in all directions, like those below you, those above you, those to the side of you. It, it's absolutely fundamental that that you believe in that communication and that it's, it's born from that place of trust. Because if, if it's not, or, or where, where communication falls down is, is, is where, you know, is, is when, and that trust starts to erode. So, and, and then that's, and that can be a dark place to be. And I think the root, some of the roots of, of where, when we, when we look at problematic schools or schools that are in difficult situations or schools where maybe things aren't quite right, often, when you start to look, and, and they, you know, they, obviously lots of factors that can be involved in, in, in where, where there's problems in schools. But what, normally, in my experience and what I've experienced in the past, it, it often starts with communication. Like, and you speak to people on the ground in a school where communication isn't good. And it's some of the first things that people say to you, you know, oh, well, you know, I don't know what's going on. Or, or you know, I, or no, no talks to me. Or, you know, or, or I, I, I fed that back, but no one listened. You know, it's those sorts of, you know, those sorts of things that, that are commonly heard in schools. And again, I go back to trust. If the trust's there, the comms are there. So that, I think that's where I would sort of kick off in terms of why, for me, it's, it's important. Yeah, absolutely. I think on the trust thing, I was this when I was listening to a talk around the trusted executive book that I mentioned earlier, um, earlier on this week, and somebody said, leaders need to rely on the power of trust not entrusting in their power and I thought that was a really really powerful phrase in itself because I think that's absolutely right with communication I think in schools it's vitally important because it's 
it's not it's the lifeblood of relationships isn't it which is which is where that trust sits underneath the umbrella of and for schools we need that trust and we need those relationships to be successful in everything that we do we need it as a human being we need it as an individual we need that in our in our relationships professionally and personally and an, an organization that's so complex as a school is there's so many layers of complexity that to have that really strategic view and deliberate mechanisms for communication keeps that relationship healthy. Like you said, just, just said, Lloyd, but all those different layers with all those different stakeholders. And when I was thinking about this earlier on, I think, I think you can almost sit it under several different aspects of communication when we look at school. There's the obvious operational necessity around communication. And a massive part of that is safeguarding. And we know the vital importance of communication around safeguarding. So I think that's that's a big one to think about. And then for the strategy side of things, you know, we've talked about trust, we've talked about openness and all that sits under that umbrella of culture, doesn't it? So I think it's it's driving at those relationships and you're absolutely right. I think when we look at, at schools that are struggling and we and we unpick why they are struggling, there's, there's again, there's lots of layers to that. But I think a common de denominator, absolutely, is around that communication and that two-way communication. You know, not just leaders communicating, but everybody in that school family, in that organisation, being a part of that communication. Yeah, you're bang on talking about trust there. I think naturally I don't have um, the same level of leadership experience as either of you two. So I'm speaking at this mostly as someone who's got a lot of experience or a decent amount as a class teacher. But you're right that a school's culture lives and dies by its communication and it's easy to forget what we mean by communication the different facets to it so I mean there's the obvious spoken communication that you have individuals and staff meetings etc there's also the way in which email can be used because it sounds like a trivial thing but that can be something that becomes over like a real burden on teachers but it can be something that's done in quite a streamlined way also things like body language I've, I've worked in schools where senior leaders at staff meetings are making it pretty clear from their body language that they're not interested in the professional development. I've equally worked in schools where leaders and others have made it, have, have set an example through their body language by saying, look, I'm open to this. This is something I'm interested in. And a lot of stuff is just a lot of communication beyond kind of the spoken and the technological and body language. It's just a, there are cues that you give just by your presence in certain places the timing that you do certain things so yeah i think obviously trust is central to that but it's worth thinking about the different types of communication we need to get right obviously when we're thinking about why communication is important there's loads of things i could list off like the sharing of priorities is fundamental to to that it's very easy to end up particularly i remember being an nqt and focusing on things that weren't that important in re in with hindsight and disregarding things that probably were more important because perhaps those those priorities hadn't been communicated as well as they could. Along with this idea of reminding staff about expectations and norms and allowing problems to be addressed, that everyday stuff. I think there's a sense in which if you have a school with a really open, honest culture of communication, it's much more easier to match expertise to issues so I remember it working in a school in which suddenly one day we found that this member of staff who had been who had worked there for years was playing piano as the children came into assembly 
and we were all astonished like we didn't know you could play the piano and the response she gave stuck with me because she said well no one asked and it was as simple as that we no one had ever said oh does anyone play in a musical instrument and would like to play it as children come into assembly and so easy to forget that perhaps just curiosity and questions alongside that openness can be a central part of make of why communication is important and what it can achieve. Speaking of your analogies, I had that um, organi organization was like the the oil in the school motor, you know, and if, if it's not there, you know, and communication being part of that organization, then the motor is either going to splutter or it's going to die completely. And I think you both alluded, you know, Amy, you were saying about the lifeblood, very similar metaphor. Running a school is a massive undertaking. And if you're making life more difficult than it needs to be, through a lack of sort of proper communication structures, then I think it becomes overly burdensome to the point where, you know, like you guys have all alluded to, you know, you can find yourself in some serious difficulties, you know? And I think when I think about you, Lloyd, and the conversations we've had, and we've had loads of conversations over many years, a lot of your communication stuff is just tacit or it seems tacit because it's a part of what you do all the time. And I'm sure that's the same case Amy, in your, in your instance, and Christopher, whenever you were a school leader, you know, I have no doubt that, you, you know, these are just things you do because you build them up over time. But I think where they're absent, you know, it's very possible that things can go wrong. So, Amy, what could schools do to get it right? How can they get communication right? The first thing I think schools need to do is recognise and value the importance of it and make it a priority and make it a, a, a fibre of the, the the workings and the operational kind of functioning or health if you like the organizational health of the school some of the things that i think i would pick out if i'm giving advice to to leaders about how to get this right is be intentional about the communication it's not something that we can leave to chance and i think it brings lots of vulnerabilities if we do leave it to chance so things like being intentional about what is communicated when it's communicated how it's communicated and to whom and like Chris was saying a, a little while ago all of those different methods of communication you know some of them are fit for purpose for particular things and some are absolutely not fit for purpose for other conversations so you know is this an appropriate email no this needs to be a conversation with colleagues around the table because we are about to strategize we're about to try and identify problems we're about to make some decisions is this information sharing in which case yes it probably can sit in an email as long as it's crystal clear and it's it's conducive to being interpreted easily and you know it, it, there's no ambiguity that's going to lead people into difficulty etc so really thinking carefully about being intentional about the how and the what and the why and i think where we've talked before about particularly around curriculum leadership um and i've seen quite recently Lloyd you've posted some things on this in particular um, and looking at that really great Nick Hart blog a couple of weeks ago around the spotlights and guardians and that whole concept leaders have got a real responsibility to support those around them to get this right in my first headship in that first term when you know I was just getting pretty much everything that you could get wrong wrong one of the things that I think was probably the most significant at that point was trying to give curriculum leaders as much time as I could give them to get out to look at their subjects but what was then happening was oh the geography leader was out on Wednesday morning the art leader was out on Wednesday afternoon so by five o'clock on Wednesday 
our entire teaching team have had a great big long, you know, far too long, far too wordy email from the history leader. The same again, the follow, you know, half an hour later from another curriculum leader. And all of a sudden in one working day, you know, because we've not been intentional about that communication and about how and when and with whom, we've got quite a workload crisis and some very, very stressed colleagues on our hands. And so I think being proactive and intentional is a big one. I would also say be efficient. So, for example, if we are committing things to email, and I know you mentioned earlier, it seems like a small thing, but I actually think we need to consider this in a lot of detail because we look at all the research from the last two or three years and where teachers are reporting stress related to workload the volume of emails is right up there every time every time we're looking at this together so I do think we've got to be really deliberate about it so you know being deliberate about using one email thread for one topic or, or what so if something if you sent something out and then a week later you're going to send a follow-up don't send a new email go back to the original one that you sent and reply to that one you know, and keep try and help colleagues by keeping it in one thread. Little things like make the action really clear, do it in a different colour, highlight it, make it bold, whatever it is. So be really intentional and be as efficient as possible. The final thing I would say is where communication is in person, which I think we, we're in this, I don't know, situation at the minute where we think that is preferable all the time because we've missed it so much. But there are times where you don't need to bring everybody together in the same room to share some information. But when you are and you want it to be meaningful and people's time is precious, empower them by allowing them to prepare for that conversation. What is it you're going to talk about? What is it you would like people to contribute? And how would you like them to do that? Because I think going back to the trust and the relationships and the organisational health, I think if you can empower people to come to a conversation like that equal in thought, you are leading by example there and, and you're going to get the best out of people. Superb advice. Um, and I think like, yeah, like there's a lot of stuff there that echoed with, with myself and my head as well about managing, particularly from that curriculum side about how you manage feedback and delay feedback to make sure that it's manageable for staff. I think as a vital thing, because like I say, busy schools, busy with constantly doing monitoring different bits and pieces, managing that is, is key. I'd like to just pick back up on some, again, what something Chris says, we're talking about getting it right. And I just want to build a little bit on what you said about, about like body language there. I think it's really important to consider as leaders as well, like that, that, that communication, that body language when going into a classroom, like, so when you're walking into a room to watch a teacher teach, that's a really, a really sort of um, humbling experience to go in and, and have a privilege to go and see one of your teachers teach. So when you go in there, we agreed as a staff, a set of criteria and rule, not, not criteria, like sort of, an agreement of expectations of how we would enter the room so when we go in we don't take clipboards we don't take pens we don't write things down we make eye contact we smile uh we don't point we don't um make funny eyes across the room we are pleasant we don't necessarily engage in a conversation with the teacher we engage in a conversation with the children but we've agreed that as a staff and that we've agreed that communication and that level of communication with the staff and that sort of stuff counts it matters to staff because they they feel part of that communication so I just yeah i think that's a, like a really important point that i haven't actually considered before tonight and then chris has just brought up and they kind of made me think of that and i think core that's a form of communication as well so i think that that's really really important i think as well there needs to be sort of some consideration of over communication versus unnecessary communication now it's important in schools we over communicate things if we want to embed culture and when we want to embed 
expectations and things. We need to over-communicate. Now, I, I think, uh, you know, it's worth qualifying that with, that doesn't mean 20 emails. That means the message getting through via different mediums, but being reinforced. For me, that's good communication because if we want things to happen, you know, with all the best will, best will in the world, you know, even if it's saved in an email, people are busy. People have, you know, and, and the way that the way that humans are and human behavior, we need to nudge it. So in that in that way, we we sort of think about different ways to, to get that message across in a way which isn't too much, but is keeping on top of things. But then is that versus unnecessary communication? So you need to balance out as a leader and think, like like Amy said, is this something that I need to send, or is this you know is this too much? And it's having that actual conscious awareness as a leader of that. Because if you understand that, then you're you're going to be more in tune with your staff, and it's it's going to it's, again it goes back to um, to building building that trust. And I think the last thing to me on this point will be communication of good and bad. How do we communicate good things? How do we communicate bad things? We do both. We have to do both as leaders. You know, do we always communicate those good things? We communicate the bad things quite often, um, but it's making sure that we have a balance, isn't it, of both of those things. It's sort of similar the way that we balance that that over communication versus unnecessary communication we also need to we need to balance the good and bad so it's quite complicated when you when you start to pick into it and you think about it and you often as a leader particularly have to step back from it and go hang on and 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 it's good to have those checks and balances and have a build that culture in the place where and we do with our place constantly as leaders we're going do we need to send that should we send that should we hold that back you know having those checks and balances with each other to, to and creating that culture where it's okay to do that and be like do you need to send that out today? Is that you know? Because when we're comfortable doing that with with, with colleagues, it, it's only gonna it's only gonna sort of help the the culture of, of a school. I think as a as a rule of thumb, I if I have to share something that I think is less likely to be positively received, it's a bit of feedback. For example, let's say there's a, a teacher in a class, and I've seen them as I've walked past at one point. I've seen them with their phone out. It's happened before. It's something you have to you have to respond to that because there's a class of children. Why is your phone out? That's something that obviously you have to time that right. You you don't necessarily want to upbraid the teacher in front of the children. Of course, you don't. You need to find the right time. So obviously, timeliness is important. But also, I think as a rule, if you're going to give this kind of there's going to be communication that might not be positively received. Keep it short. Keep it clear. And then give them the chance to process it. You know, I think it, it's really horrible for someone to give you, to tell you something sometimes that you don't want to hear by definition. And sometimes you just want them to, once they've said it, to leave you alone to process it. So you've got some time to kind of get over those, those initial emotions that might be relating to a little bit of shame or a little bit of anxiety. So I think negative stuff, short, sweet, and then give them a chance to process when it's positive stuff go nuts you know spend as much time as you want i don't think i've ever regretted once spending a bit longer to compliment someone on something wonderful that they've done uh, i think it's really easy to take for granted the idea that your staff feel appreciated or that you know you feel appreciated i think taking going far far beyond what you think is necessary when it comes to um, expressing gratitude to your staff, I think is a, a really is a really valuable thing. I, I absolutely take your point there, Chris, and I think you're absolutely right in terms of the positives. One caveat I might add, if I may, be careful and make sure that that is there's a sincerity and a genuineness to the praise. 
because whilst yes lavish them with praise by all means make sure that it isn't lip service praise because teachers see right through that <laughs> i know i do and i'm sure you do as well you know when someone is giving you praise or someone is giving you praise so i think that just is worth a consideration uh as well a hundred percent i think um it kind of brings me on to something else so i was going to say link to that which is it's really it's it can be a tempting thing because i think as human beings we're just good at it it can be tempting to use communication in a way that strays into manipulation where you start to feel like you're trying to make something happen indirectly i think being as direct and honest and upfront as you can possibly be is important while of course being sensitive and where you need to personalizing messages i've known members of staff who absolutely would hate for someone to say came into your lesson it was absolutely brilliant and for you to say that in front of other members of staff they just don't want to be complimented in public it makes them embarrassed i've also worked with members of staff who would be perfectly happy with that and actually might respond well to that so obviously we get into this idea of understanding your staff and the people you work with and your leaders who work above you as individuals and not assuming that the way you like to be communicated with is, is the same for them. I liked a lot what Amy said about um, the purposeful nature, the intentionality. I think the idea of the, the, the worst mistakes relating to communication, I think, relate to people feeling like their time's being wasted because that gnaws at people over the longer term. If I may just add a couple of other things, modeling a sense of curiosity and openness, particularly in staff meetings, professional development, but whenever information is being communicated can be really valuable. I, I, I would call it like off the top of my head, like attack, being like a tactical ignoramus. So I remember a member of staff who would just be, a deputy head who would just say, oh, can you um, can you explain that bit? I didn't get that bit. And I knew they'd understood, but they just wanted that clarity for everyone because they thought there might be, you know, an ECT in the room who might not have grasped that bit because, you know, it involved some acronyms that they're unfamiliar with. So modeling curiosity, asking questions. A, a chap I'm very privileged to work with called Toby Horrocks gave me this wonderful idea, which I'm going to use from now on which is if you are not sure about something and you want to um, get someone to clarify, just asking, oh, can you give me an example of that? Which is just the shortest way to say, oh, I really don't understand this without feeling you know, any sense of anxiety about any lack of capability. Oh, can you give me an example of that? Is a wonderful, wonderful way to gain clarity for everyone involved. So having that as your back in your back pocket in every staff meeting as well. Oh, could you just give me an example of that might be something to bear in mind. I'm, I'm really glad that you and Lloyd are here because one of my notes says have clear systems. But if it was just you and me, Chris, that, that's as far as it would have gone. <laughs> but you guys have really outlined what a clear system is and, and what it, you know, what it means to be clear. You know, the only thing I can really add is whatever systems you've got in place, induct your new members of staff into the system and then almost reinforce that the system be used. But, you know, I'm thinking of calendars. Calendars can be really useful for outlining what's happening. You know, things, lots of things happen on a daily basis in schools. If the calendar isn't worth the digital paper it's presented on, 
then I think you're missing a trick because you, you know, you've got your spider web of things happening across all the classes. So yeah, so whatever whatever system you have in place, you know, reinforce that it is important, you know, whether it be during your staff meetings or sort of one-to-one. And then when I thought about, well, you know, we need to review our systems, but not a lot, you know, you need to, the Goldilocks amount of review, because if you're reviewing them constantly, they don't have time to bed and they don't get to be as clear and part of the sort of school culture is Amy and Lloyd outlined. So I think, you know, maybe a healthy on the, you know, maybe on, a, on, an, on an annual basis. I don't know, you know, guys, correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong, but, you know, every year think about well, what was the feedback in the staff survey this year? You know, because I think it's, it's really important that everyone is heard in that conversation, you know, because me as senior leader, I might think my diktats are really clear, but then, you know, there's a, there's a chance that the teaching assistants or anyone else in school might think otherwise. So I'm, I'm always making sure, you know, review, but a sensible amount, I think. Definitely. And I think, so on that, Kieran, I think where you talk about teachers and teaching assistants, going back to what we were saying earlier on about who needs to know this and when do they need to know it. And I think one of the common errors that we see pretty regularly is an assumption that only the teachers know that, whatever it, you know, whatever it might be. And you get in this communication flow between, for example, the subject leader and the teaching team. And sometimes there's there's this oversight of actually everybody else that needs to know that information that has an influence on that curriculum subject, that has a responsibility in ensuring the impact of that curriculum or, or that a particular approach that you're looking at in a particular subject or a year group or whatever it might be. The colleagues that are going to need to hear that are far broader than just your teachers and just really thinking carefully about back to the relationships and the trust. How do you make everybody feel valued? How do you make sure that colleagues know that you know that they have an influence on that and therefore need that particular information? And then just building, if I can, on what you were saying about reviewing things there, it just made me think about one of the things that we're looking at this year based on feedback from last year around policy changes. So we had at one stage last year, several quite significant policies that were changed all around the same time. Policies have a review date, you know, moving forward, we can change that and think about the scheduling and being intentional about when they need looking at. But unfortunately, the bottom line was they needed looking at. One of the feedback points that we had quite commonly was the volume of that was really, really difficult to comprehend, to read. And for our head teachers to then think about, okay, this trust policy has changed. How do I then communicate? It's been communicated to me as the head teacher, but how do I then communicate that to everybody else in my school academy that is going to need to implement that policy with compliance and consistency from the minute it's live? So one of the things that we've started looking at doing is, as I say, first and foremost, not doing that, being really intentional about when each policy is reviewed and changed. But then when a new policy is updated, approved by the board and released, Okay, it might be, I mean, ideally, you're talking a couple of pages maximum, because in my opinion, that's that's what a policy should be. It just should be a reference, really clear and succinct. But actually, if there's communication or conversation needed around that, we are pre-recording two or three minute video walkthrough of that policy. That means our head teachers can just ping that out to everybody. And, you know, you can say to everybody, right, in three weeks time, everyone, we need to have watched this two minute walkthrough of this policy. 
let me know if you've any any queries or questions and actually that has taken such a weight and and saved so much time particularly for our leaders around you know there's, there's a health and safety policy change ends in a video that's pointed out three key changes please watch it it's live in three weeks so just thinking it also around sometimes things have to be in a document or on a piece of paper but actually can you just summarize that for everybody and if you can do it in a one minute video great hopefully it's going to save people a lot of time in the same vein as that i think it's a, it's a really important point when i sort of first joined the school i'm currently in we uh, my head is, is really good at setting out strategic dates for the year now this is not something i'd really had set out in the detail that i'd seen it when i first arrived so communicating out those dates like right to the start of the year till the end of the year like like the whole year calendar like mapped out and i was like whoa because normally i was used to in the staff room here's a raft of dates for this term or you know like a term ahead i'd never come across like a whole year mapped out now for me that was new and i'm sure that's common in other schools or whatever so for me that was that was really new anyway after the first year of like of the, like of me being there we reviewed as a senior leadership team and we said actually we all need to feed into this because the and what we did we took a strategic uh, senior leadership day which had all our senior leaders and extended senior leadership team in a room and we and we carefully we had you know the, the, all the posters up on the wall and we carefully mapped out the pinch points of the year and we 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 said well we can't have that together because that's going to be awful for teachers so we need to just spice that and we we spent it took us hours to do but we spent a lot of time pulling all that apart and then we really clearly communicated that that to all our staff with the rationale about why everything is where it is and showing them some of those decisions around it and i feel like they then could understand and they do understand far more now why everything is where it is. It's like communication on levels like that, which I feel is similar to the policy thing, is having that joined up conversation around strategic thinking about uh, dates and anything like that. Having that complete cohesion and, uh, to, and togetherness with communication on that is massive. And it has a, it can have a, a massive impact on, on, um, on the culture and, and, and how people manage, you know, and like well-being sort of week to week. What's really clear from what both, you have, you have said is the importance of response to feedback based on what staff are experiencing. Just a little side note to that. I think don't underestimate um, people listening, perhaps shouldn't underestimate the value of anonymity. Sometimes being able to feedback on something via a Google form or whatever it might be, where people can, you, where you can say, no names on that. I just want to know what you think. I mean, in an ideal world, you have such an open, trusting um, culture that no one would ever feel in the slight bit nervous to communicate something. But I don't think an organization exists like that. I, I, I do think that sometimes being able to give some feedback where your name isn't attached to it is really is a really valuable thing. Just to build on another point you made there, Lloyd, you, you said a couple of times when you were talking about this idea of planning, mapping things out across the year, you said, and we made that really clear uh, why we were doing that, what the justification was for that. If there's any bit of communication that I think, to use your phrase, we do want to like, over-communicate, it's the why behind our decisions. Because so often, when I was a classroom teacher and the SLT suggested they were going to do X, Y, and Z, I remember going away from meetings with a bit of a bee in my bonnet, thinking, well, ugh, Really, do we have to do that? And as soon as I found out why, 
It's like, oh, well, no, that's got to be timed there because otherwise it's going to be chaos for year two who are doing their nativity or whatever it is. As soon as you get a sense of the why, so much, so, um, much more often you think, oh, okay, yeah, I can, I, can, I can stomach that. I can get on board with that. What should schools try and avoid, Lloyd? Okay, I'm going to, um, I'm going to reference a chap called Pete Bloomfield. I don't know if any of you know Pete Bloomfield. He, was, he existed on Twitter for like a year. Uh, I saw Pete speak at a, at a brewhead in Wimbledon, and he was quite honestly inspirational. I, I, I'm, he, he did like improving the school in 100 days, and he did a, like 100 tweets, um, and then disappeared from Twitter. And, and, and I am sure he is still doing superb leadership things somewhere. He's still on Twitter, but he's, he's not active at all. Um, and and I, saw this guy, I saw this guy speak, and, and he, he used this analogy, and he, he gave three things. Um, I won't go into all three, but the, but the one that chimed for, for this point for me was wasps in the classroom. He said, like, when he was observing an, uh, an ECT, um, a wasp flew in the classroom. I'm sure we've all had a wasp or a bee fly in the classroom. And he basically said, the minute that flies in, it's game over. Like you, you can have the best instructional models in the world. You can have the best behaved class even in the world. But when a wasp flies in, that's it. It's all gone to pieces. And what he said is like with communication, he said, as leaders and as, as people, think very carefully about the like timing of your communication. So like, are you sending out emails? Or are you sending out communications or messages during teaching time? When are you, because if like a teacher hears their email go, they, they're going to be, they're going to be inclined to think, oh, what was that? You know, and, and they're going to want to know what it was and, and so on and so forth. Or it might be some, like some message that they, they don't really want to hear when they're halfway through maths or whatever it is they're teaching. And he said that's, you know, and he, he sort of likened that to the equivalent of, of throwing a wasp into the classroom. And, and, and I've stuck with me ever since, like, you know, don't throw wasps into your teacher's classrooms because they don't need that. And, you know, it, it's not, you know, it, you need to keep, you need to keep the windows nice and shut and not letting those, those wasps go in. So a little bit of a trivial one, but I think really pertinent actually, and made me think very carefully about when I send out communications to my staff. It's easy for the sender or the communicator to make that timing fit around their schedule and perhaps not think about the schedule of the people receiving. I think when we talk about feedback, which I know we're not really we're digging into um, in this conversation, but you know, the impact of the feedback is at the listener's ear. And it's, it's the same with the whole communication, isn't it? The impact of it is where it's landing and, and how it's received. So definitely, I think, avoid working around your own schedule and think about all of this. A massive thing um, to avoid is, is that cognitive overload for people receiving it. So like we've said previously, really, just avoid really high volume at really unhelpful times. And even more so if the communication itself isn't helpful so just just avoiding that kind of overload and I think where we've talked about that over communication um, and you've mentioned it a little bit Lloyd is avoiding over communicating things that don't need over communicating because what that ends up doing is diluting the over communication of the things that do need over communicating um, and then you sort of lose that impact, you know, so narrating the culture, narrating everything that you want people to be doing and seeing in every interaction. We can dilute that if we're then also over communicating lots of lots of other things. The other thing I would say to to avoid, and again, I think we see this a lot where communication is perhaps not as strong as it could be, is sometimes we don't close that loop. So we might work really, really hard in our communication to include everybody. 
we might work really, really hard to give everybody time to think about what it is we're discussing, to contribute their thoughts and their ideas and their feedback, to sit in a really productive meeting, and then a decision might be made in that meeting. But what can sometimes happen is we don't close that communication loop. We don't then communicate that decision widely enough. And we then don't communicate how that's going, you know, in a, in a week, in six weeks, in a term. So I think we can sometimes, you know, get it all, all you know, 95% of the way. And it's been an absolute model example. And then we sometimes, just because we're so conscious on the let's go and get doing, we don't always close that loop. And where a decision is made, I think we need to work really, really hard to avoid a decision being made, followed by an expectation that people are going to be able to do whatever it is that, that they're required to do to uphold that decision immediately. And I think, again, it's a bit like the email conversation, being really intentional about that. Plan the communication in so that people have got lots of time to digest that, to think about how that directly impacts on them. And then to come back and at some point you've got to close that loop and that's the end of it now we're moving forward we're giving people some of that feedback time but i think having that agreement across your whole school or your organization or your trust that gives people the safety and the comfort of knowing whatever decision is going to be made here i'm not going to be expected to act on that tomorrow because what happens in our school is we always have a one-week window after any decision is made you know a two-week window half a term whatever it is so avoid expecting people to be able to react I think just because that communication has been shared or a decision has been made the discussion of a, a window there reminds me of something that I think is also that needs to be avoided and again this is a more this is more minutiae than the strategic thinking that you guys are obviously much more capable with than I am whether you're a maths coordinator or you're a deputy head there are going to be moments when you are frustrated because something hasn't been interpreted the way you want it to be interpreted or hasn't been implemented with the enthusiasm you were hoping for or whatever it might be and particularly I think this is common with email the temptations go oh and you start typing and off it goes and then you think hmm yeah because I've worded that differently is that the right way to communicate this stuff it, it sounds like really obvious advice, but do not communicate by email while you are even slightly frustrated. You have, if, you, if in doubt, leave it, come back or schedule send is your friend. If you need to kind of type something out to get it off your chest, schedule send it for a week from now and write a little post-it note, say, ah, no, no, just to remind you that that is there, that is going out. So you've got time just to reflect on your words, whether that is the, the best most productive way to communicate something. So consider a bit of a, a delay there. While I'm on the topic of delay though, when something is, if you come across something that is an issue and it's something that is a minor thing, it isn't something you're particularly frustrated about, but it's just something you think, yeah, that that's that's something I'll, that's a niggle. That's something that maybe isn't the way it should be. Either address it or let it go. Because far too often in my experience, I've seen that middle ground where a, a leader has gone, oh, should I address that? No, probably not. And they've done neither. So they haven't quite let it go, but they've not addressed it either. And that is, can lead to passive aggressive communication where, someone, where someone's coming back into a conversation saying, well, you know what, this is the third time you've done this. So, well, if you haven't told them the first or second time, then you've no right to say it's the third time you've done this. So 
yeah, I, I think this kind of middle ground of, oh, should I, shouldn't I either address it or let it go? Don't have, try and avoid the middle ground between those two. You mentioned there about scheduling emails. You know, one of my things is about don't having systems that are negative in terms of work-life balance. You know, it, it's, I think across all email providers, you're able to say, send this at 8.05, you know, rather than 29 minutes past nine night. You know, when, you know, I, I've had senior leaders email at 11 o'clock at night, you know, because they're absolutely worked to the bone. It's not good for them. And it's certainly not good for the person who's receiving that email, you know, because especially with things in your phone, you know, definitely turn off on your phone. That's what I've done. And I think inner circles, I think runs counter to a lot of what you guys have been saying. You know, there's no trust. You don't have the breadth of communication. You know, that's how, you know, those situations maybe we were saying where the loop isn't closed. When the decision's made in this group of four or five people, and then it doesn't permeate out you know obviously you will need senior leadership teams but it's when, when it becomes everything is going through that one system and then nothing else happens you know so i would avoid that as much as as much as possible but if you're building something like that you have where you've got your subject leaders leading properly you know you, you can't have that kind of system and amy with your head teachers you know they're all part of this wonderful cpd program you put together you know i think you've built the systems that will prevent that from becoming a, an issue in the first place, you know? So I, I don't really have much to add other than that. And I think, you know, if we focus on what we are going to do and we are, like you said, paying attention, the attention it deserves, putting those systems in place, then you almost avoid all of the things that can go wrong, you know? So I think placing our priorities in making sure that we've got something that works for our school and our community that's the best thing to do. I think, I think that's a really, really pertinent point in terms of the, the inner sanctum. I think that's like, you know, like that's probably a very common structure and experience in, I would imagine, in lots of schools whereby it appears three or four or whatever people of the inner sanctum close the door, make the decision and then open the door again. And then all of a sudden the decision's been made. And then even sometimes it's, they've heard, you've heard it secondhand. And I think that sort of stuff, um, and in previous schools, I, I have had that experience. So when I came to my, to my current role, I was like bowled over by how transparent everything was and how open door everything was. Now, there are, of course, times where Lee, a deputy and a head might have to sit in a room and discuss something very sensitive or discuss things that, you know, those conversations have to happen. It's when the decisions are made and then how that's communicated. That's the most important thing for staff. It's like them seeing that demonstrated to them and, and, and modeled to them is, is vital. And, and it genuinely blew me away, the distribution of leadership in, in the, the school I'm coming into. Losing my head is, is just tremendous at it. Um, and just pulling in, we have a very large leadership team. Like, and it's sort of this, this breathing mechanism that comes in and out and in with community, you know, carrying those messages in and out to phase and back. And it really works. And I've never seen it work before in any of the schools I've been in previously. And then I've seen it work and I'm like, whoa, this is amazingly powerful. And it, re it, it you know, like you said, I go back, it's that oil moving in and out and around the engine. Like, because the, you know, the, the, you know, the mechanics in the garage, if you will, are all around, are all together and looking at fixing the car. So like, it, it, it really is a powerful thing, but it can also be extremely detrimental if the, the cloak and dagger inner circle 
is is too too powerful and too sort of shut off, if you will. There's um there's one thing I want to say before we move on, and it's your point about cognitive loading. I mean, this is probably going to be an episode in the future. I don't think, and it's been seven days since I challenged the system and wanted to break down some walls. I don't think the inset model is conducive to managing cognitive load in teachers. Because I've seen some inset days, you know, not necessarily in the schools I'm working in, but online, you'll see here's the list of things we're going to cover today. And I'm like, wow, we're not applying what we know about how children learn to how adults learn. And you know, the, the Tadabe message, there's not much difference between the two. You know, so I think pinning that, you know, question for anyone listening to think about, does that system work? So th this is the challenging bit. Can we condense our views into a consensus, three actionable points that people take away in terms of fostering strong, useful communication systems in school? Yeah, so we can certainly give it a go. Um, I'll kick us off. First of all, I think recognise and maintain the importance of communication as a real key driver of culture and relationships and overall school effectiveness. Yeah, that's, that's great. I think I'll, I'll add my point to that. It would be around creating and embedding intelligent systems and processes uh, rather than sort of relying on people. People come and go. Systems, if they're solid and they're in place, will help structure and support anybody coming into those systems. So I think if you get that right, it, you're building a legacy and you're building something to last with, with communication. And the third point, which I feel ties in with a lot of the great advice you've given, is to be intentional and efficient and consider when you want to over-communicate and when instead you want to be concise. Massive thank you to Lloyd and Amy for sharing the wealth of experience that you guys have accrued school leaders i think it would have been a very different episode had it just been you know like episode 10 what was chris and i sort of talk about what we think about education you know i think you brought a lot of uh, an extra layer of clarity and knowledge that you know that people will massively appreciate you know so i think all that's left to say is thank you very much amy thank you it's a pleasure as always thank you lloyd thank you very much thank you chris thank you and to everyone at home until next time, thanks for listening.